0: True love can only exist between a man and his beverage. Kyle. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare Advancement Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. Uh, But unlike always, I am joined by a guest and a very good friend of mine, uh, Kyle. Hello, Uh, everybody. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I'll introduce myself and walk all over you in the process. You're good. My name is Kyle, and I am here on your show uh, because I enjoy uh, brewing beer as a recreational hobby. It's fun, and it's uh, rewarding.
0: That's right, and this is what this episode is about. It's about brewing beer. Um, this is being recorded a little bit earlier than when it's being going to be posted. Uh, I didn't mention this to you, Kyle, but this is probably... A little ways out from my actual kind of schedule, but uh, it's going to be part of a larger series or specials just on specific um, events leading up to, well, civilization, I guess, is what you'd call it. But, uh, yeah, so this is going to tie into a couple of other episodes about just the birth of... (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> humanity and all that kind of good stuff. And I can hear you in the background. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: you know, I, uh, I I will mute myself while I'm not talking because, you know, I, I'm sitting here at home and they're going nuts, so... <laughs>
0: That's okay. Just let me know when you're, when you're free. <laughs> uh, but while Kyle's doing that, yes, so... Um, this is not necessarily going to be... Um, Covering a specific time period because we're kind of still in the myths of myth and early history at this point in time, but I think people would be surprised to learn that how early we started probably experimenting with um, creating beer and other alcoholic beverages, um, and it's probably you know a good time to start talking about this now. Um, and as time goes on, we'll get into the you know developments of it uh, because beer is a very important part. Well, beer and all alcohol is a very important part of human history and civilization and all that good stuff.
1: do you know what has always uh, but, fascinated me, Preston? Yes, go ahead. Uh, you know how our ancestors managed to uh, figure out that we needed to brew beer you know so that water could be, could be consumed safely and yet you know we didn't invent uh you know things like inoculation vaccination you know penicillin until much later despite the fact that you know it's
0: similar work with bacteria at play but you're right uh beer and wine become vitally important especially when large parts of the population start concentrating in single locations uh beer and wine are much safer to drink than just undiluted water Um, yeah, the medicinal benefits of alcoholic beverages cannot be overstated.
1: (laughs) Medicinal, uh, (laughs) self-medicinal, whatever whatever you'd like to call it.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, and yeah, I, I, that's something obviously people use it for today much more, but, um, yeah, in the past, uh, where we're talking about the far past, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, medicine related. It's probably the most advanced medicine we have.
1: <laughs> We've certainly had enough time to work on it, that's for sure. So, uh, I feel like we're yeah. just now perfecting it here in the uh, in the two thousands.
0: Yeah, um, if people have listened to the episode, I'm going to record later today. Um, beer, like as a, I guess like an, like as a organized activity, the brewing of it. It's possible, at least for what we know right now, um we're talking uh, 12,000 years ago give or take. That really? it started? Yeah, uh 9,500 BC. It's actually like 11,500 like years ago. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um Uh, Yeah, so ceremonial porridge beer. There's a huge amount of evidence at Gobekli Tepe which is kind of like the focus I'm going on right now where you know, stone vats essentially of, or residue of what candy beer or porridge have been found and it's like the numbers of these pots in one place, it dwarfs anything else that's contemporary and even in later times, like until we get to you know, modern, well, with like cities, quote unquote, uh, dogs may be going wild if God's still muted.
1: No, no, no! I'm um, here. I'm just I'm learning <laughs> so much from you already. I, the the time frame for this is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, could you please yeah, tell I, me about the name of the thing that you just said? Göbekli Tepe. Is that what you said?
0: Yes, um, it is a site in southern Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, not too far from the Turkish-Syrian border. Um, I think the modern city that's there is Sanolurfa. It's, it's up in the hills away from the city. Um, but it's kind of like, right now it's, it's in the running for like, oldest, if not city, town, or complex, um... I've done one episode on it. It's the one that came out last week, and then there's the one I'm... It's probably going to be two or three more episodes there um, where I'm kind of... I haven't really talked about the history too much of it. Last week it was mainly about the discovery of the site and this first bit of excavations there. But there's a whole, like... There's like 12 or 13 smaller settlements that are similar to Gobekli Tepe that are all kind of in the same general region. It's like the Stone Hills. Um, it's what it's called by the locals. Um, but yeah, it's it's the oldest site where we have like a lot of proto-city stuff right now.
1: And beer was, was at the forefront of it, is that what you're saying?
0: That is a very... Beer was definitely part of it. Um, <laughs> and there's very popular theory that it was one of the primary reasons for people to go there. Religious... Um, You know, just like people hanging out um, You know, reestablishing bonds or establishing new bonds Um, And not to get too much into that Because again, I'm going to be recording that episode later today So, But yes, um, beer, porridge, ceremonial gathering You know, probably some type of uh, feasting involved as well yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, some lubrication would be needed for that type of event. So we've been bar crawling as a species since 12,000 BC. Uh, uh about 10,000 probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Let, let's not split <laughs> well, hairs here. Let's let's get down to it.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's the thing where like 12,000 years ago. Well, you gotta think it's 2,000 years, and then the. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you like you look at a timeline enough, your eyes go cross-eyed looking at it. I do the same thing,
1: um, <laughs> no doubt, all
0: the time. But yeah, no, and it's probably way older than that. Um, we've probably been fermenting shit to some level or another, and like I'm talking stuff that you would not think would make a good beverage. Um, we've kind of narrowed it down to fruits and grains. Um, but who knows what we were doing even further back than that.
1: What are the things were we fermenting? This this um, I'm fascinated by. you got to tell me.
0: Well, I'm just... Uh, I'm talking about, like, probably they tried it with some type of nut, I'm sure. Because um, nuts were a bigger part of our diet than fruits and, you know, grasses and grains for a while. Um, there's, of course, um, uh, you know, they have things like fermented herring or like pickled herring oh, things like that it's a similar <laughs> like I would not you know I would not want to use that to try to commune with the spirits I wouldn't want to eat that to survive much less you know use it as a recreational <laughs> aid but you know
1: yeah, recreational of course, herring just the idea of it kind
0: of uh, grosses me
1: out but you know I'm not a history buff like you for all I know it was you know if all you're doing is eating hard bread uh, and you know, with grains mashed together into simple porridges and and you know that kind of sustenance, I guess disgusting rotten herring that you've buried in the ground with chemicals, uh, you know, could be a delicacy. You have to look at it in context.
0: <laughs> Tastes change over time, man. Who knows? <laughs> like, you, who knows? It could have been. It could have been great. I'll um, take your word for it. I. You know, I wouldn't test it. I wouldn't (laughs) test it. Um, But, yeah, so, um, and of course, you know, beer probably being a part of some type of shamanistic practice um, goes back, I'm sure, quite a ways. And then there's, you know, that probably helps with the mind altering uh, that needs to be done to kind of commune with the spirits. Uh, That and spinning around in circles, which is a thing that, you know some shamans have done in the past to kind of get in the right headspace to journey to the spirit world uh, but i'm sure having some strong alcohol helps as well
1: a little bit of strong alcohol a little bit of spinning in circles you know between the two of those things
0: you'll, you'll meet the gods some way or another <laughs> in some cases probably literally um but how much do you know do you have like an estimate of how much beer you've actually brewed Uh,
1: Well, I usually do about a batch a month, and a batch is normally seven gallons. I've been brewing for uh, like seven or eight years now, so if I did the math on that, you know, maybe about 60 gallons a year, seven years, somewhere around uh, three to 400 gallons of beer I've made, and, you know, it's it's not much considering what... uh, you know, modern-day uh, breweries are able to, to put out. They can get several, you know, uh, several batches of hundreds of gallons done in a day. Even the smallest ones can. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to think that I'm fairly regular uh, in, in that regard. I like to, you know, come up with new recipes from scratch. And I brew from uh, from grains. Um, all, all grain brewing, specifically, is what it's called. Uh, some people brew from extract kits, which, you know, the, the, the wart has already essentially been made. You just have to dilute it at home uh, with water. And then some people, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll kind of make a concentrated batch themselves by concentrating grains in a bag. They call that brewing in a bag or B-I-A-B. Me, I just go straight from all grains. I suppose just like our ancestors did, you know, you, you pour water over it. To extract all of the uh, all of the lovely sugars and bacterias and, and all of that stuff and the things that eventually do make beer. So, uh, but I believe your original question was how much beer do you, do you think that I've brewed? I'd say around three to four hundred gallons. But you know the good stuff, the good stuff now. Okay, <laughs> you know We're not talking about um, you know your basic uh, cutting the lawn pilsners, the beers that Americans have enjoyed for you know for, for decades now. You know, we're talking craft stuff. Good ingredients.
0: Yeah, no, I I understand completely. I just... Um, and thank you for going into detail. I know that's something I mentioned that, you know, I would need to ask you about. Uh, but, yeah, no, that was, that was going to be a, kind of a follow-up. Um, but uh, do you... Now, obviously, I've had several of your beers. Uh, specifically, the last one I had of yours was a very wonderful beer you made for your brother's wedding that was fantastic um oh, thank you how is that was that something just from a recipe or was that something you kind of devised on your own and like have you always done that or have you kind of just started to get into improv and improvisation I guess
1: yeah so that uh that beer was completely made from scratch um from a recipe that I came up with myself and I, I use a calculator There's several of them online where you plug in kind of the ingredients you use, and it'll spit out, you know, what kind of color you should expect, what kind of, uh, you know, um, bitter flavor you should expect in IVUs, bittering units, Um, which, you know, it'll kind of tell you how bitter and hoppy a beer is going to be, but all of that stuff is to personal taste. And that one was a sour that I did, um, made with fresh blackberries. And one of the things to consider. when making a sour is that you're introducing even more souring bacteria into uh, the wart. and you have to decide when you're going to do it because if you introduce that bacteria and then you boil it, you kill it all and you get nothing out of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it it it's kind of a new uh, revelation. Uh, beers would go sour over time, you know, before we had <laughs> proper <laughs> practices to preserve it and keep it cool and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, the more sour a a beer would become, the less desirable it would be. Uh, And now all of a sudden as a species, we've decided, wait a minute, we want our beer to taste spoiled (laughs) for some reason. This is what people are into now. Uh, You know, I'm I'm not into sours myself, but, you know, apparently, uh, you know, the more that things change, the more they stay the same. And now all of a sudden beer connoisseurs are saying, "We, we need to get this taste that it's gone off because that's the, you know, uh, we need to get lactobacillus introduced into it, and we want it there uh, as opposed to having it creep in slowly because our storage methods are improper so it, learning to do that was definitely a very interesting experience how to make it taste like it's gone off as opposed to just letting it go off.
0: Well, yay, like we said, tastes change over time. Um, who knows within the next fifty years maybe you know just straight sweet wheat beers will be all the rage, who knows
1: maybe they will be, Uh, you know, I I think that finally with the introduction of, you know beers, I I mean, beer has for, I feel like the longest time uh, you know, whether fortunately or unfortunately, been a very masculine uh, type of beverage you know, men drink beer, women like wine and champagne and all of these things, and you know, I'm I'm sure you have historical examples to prove me wrong on that no doubt, but uh, I do <laughs> but go, please continue. Oh, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing them. But you sure,
0: know, no, no, it's, it's not like it. Yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> Here and you know, m-
1: most recent cultural developments have kind of thrown things that way. And uh, you know, it, with the advent of craft beer, has come all of these people who are making these beers with uh, with like fruits and you know, flowery flavors. And we're we're finally starting to get back to, I guess, the historical precedent you're going to tell me about where, you know, a, a, a fruitier, flowery beer, you know, this is maybe not so unmasculine anymore. You know, now it's okay. We, we, we can totally, you know, as men, we can enjoy this type of thing. And so the, you know, the, the resurgence of the IPA, which I feel like, you know, if, if you're a garden variety, Miller, Budweiser, you know, Coors type of drinker, when you think of, you know, people who like craft beer, that's what you think of is this disgusting, bitter, oily <laughs> you know, it, IPA, and, and I'm sure that you've, it, it, if you haven't talked about it, I guess, you know, um, it, you would have talked about it eventually, but one of those things I learned, I feel like a lot of people know that IPA stands for India Pale Ale, but it was, you know, invented by the British, who needed to preserve, you know, drinking water long enough for uh, voyages by sea to India, to go, you know, rate it for spices and teas and what have you. So it it India Pale Ale, not Indian in origin, but made to get to India. And it's so bitter because the more hops that were used in the in the brewing process, the longer it would keep for. So that you know, that's the only thing about that. And now all of a sudden, you know, people are like, an IPA, that's what craft beer is. It's gotta be bitter and disgusting. And I'm I'm so glad now that we're you know, we're finally breaking that Um, That masculine perception uh, and making lighter beers with more interesting flavors for people to enjoy because I I feel like as a country especially we're probably sick of IPAs by now
0: yeah because like most of the big American domestics here like Budweiser and you know things like that they're all you know kind of pilsners and then the big response to that with like the big microbrewery revolution that happened in the late 90s and early 2000s that led to just yeah you're right a glut of ipas some of which i love but there's a lot of just average to shit ipas in my opinion
1: oh absolutely because having an ipa means that you're cultured and you know you 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 know what you're doing because it takes you know much more effort and expertise not only to brew an IPA, but to enjoy an IPA, you know? If you remember the marketing for, you know, Samuel Adams back in that, you know, explosion yeah. in, in the 90s, you know, you'd have these men going to a restaurant for a business lunch, and they'd say, I'll, I'll have a Sam Adams. And everybody's looking at them like, "What? you, you could drink something so sophisticated? You know, <laughs> unbelievable. You are clearly the most masculine man to live, uh, to, to drink something like this. And you know now all of a sudden we've associated drinking bitter and disgusting macro brews with being a manly man. So, you know here we are. But I, I want to hear more about um, I want to hear more about men and women alike enjoying the delicious taste of beer. You, you, you promised to prove me wrong, and now I need you to deliver.
0: I, I will. But I would like to. I, did, I am glad you brought up Sam Adams, because yeah, that ad campaign turned me off of their stuff for a <laughs> while, but they have some really good seasonal stuff, and oh, sure. you know, their, yeah, their standard stuff is actually okay. It's just like, yeah, but that ad campaign just completely made me not want to drink Sam Adams for years. Um, but yes, so, um, obviously in the far mists of time, uh, we don't know who invented um, beer men or women Um, from what we can tell about hunter gatherers at least the ones that lived up into the modern day and age there is a division of labor based on sex 99.9% of the time Um, women tended to be the gatherers which they got the most calories because that's more available while men are out you know dicking around trying to kill animals Um, but if you know, um, if there wasn't a division of labor, it was probably unisex, and in which case it could have been invented by men or women. But historically speaking, when you start to get to the written records, the oldest um, examples of people who make beer and have establishments that serve beer, they're almost always run and operated by women um huh. the goddess yeah um there is um the old like i guess the technically speaking the oldest quote-unquote recipe of um beer making uh it is a hymn to uh i forget the goddess's name i didn't really uh, write it now i think it's um uh ninti or no it's ninkasi Uh, Ninti is her mother but she's kind of like the goddess of beer brewing and creation Uh, you would sing the hymn to her and it kind of has a rough outline for a recipe in that hymn as well but um, there are also like we have examples of laws of um, from I think the Code of Hammurabi where if a tavern keeper you know like, basically, rob someone. Um, they're going to be drowned. But tavern keeper, in this case, is is always feminine. It's always considered, like, a, a female's no occupation. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think it is if a tavern keeper, which in this case, it's, again, it's recognized as a w- woman, does not accept grain according to gross weight and payment of drink, but takes money and the price of the drink is less than that of the grain, she shall be convicted and thrown into water. Uh Which, wow. means, she's drowned, which means she's drowned, yeah. Um, what a law. Yeah. We should have kept that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't order down your beer <laughs> or your, your other liquors, I guess. Um but yeah so uh, in fact i think women are kind of considered the primary like owners operators of taverns which of course everywhere brewed their own beer you know locally i mean that's the way it's been for most of recorded history like all your beer is local it's either made directly in the tavern or like a you know a roadhouse or something and then or made nearby and then just transported to your various places um and I don't think it's until at least in Europe. And this is this is Europe, Middle East. I ha- haven't looked too much into um, beer brewing in other places just yet, um, because this is probably the first place that we have records of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think in Europe at least it's mostly a wo- woman's occupation until like I want to say it's like the 15 or 1600s. Okay. No AD. Yeah.
1: And then finally, our um, attitudes started to reverse on who could serve and water down their beer. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: I think um, I think once you get to like a more centralized monetary system where like barter is less important and you start dealing with actual funds and money, um, yeah, I think at that point it kind of shifts towards a more male-dominated society um but i'm not under i I need to double check the research that's again a little bit a little bit more forward in our history but yeah so women at least in i know in again this is the middle east and europe um it's a very female dominated industry um i'm not so sure about asia and china um i'd have to i'd have to check in on that but um Yeah, Uh, also I'm not sure about the Americas, but the Americas, um, I'm interested in learning more about their old school brews because I think they're made of corn, interestingly enough, Um, and of course China has types of rice beer and wines, and of course sake from Japan, which is a rice wine, Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of different types of alcoholic beverage just here us in the U.S., um, almost all of our stuff is is wheat or grain-based.
1: And is that just because that's what's most prevalent?
0: I think, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Europe, almost all of their... um, Or at least the founders of America were all English or Irish or Scottish or Welsh. um, And they were most comfortable using... Uh, wheat to brew their beers, so that got imported over here. And of course, then later you have different ways of other migration uh, migrants into the Americas: um, Germans, uh, Dutch, French. Which Southern France, obviously being on the Mediterranean, uh, and the Italians they have a very heavy wine culture because grapes actually grow there. Um, the Romans weren't big on beer; they thought it was like a barbarian or a woman's drink. Um, so they just had strong wine. I mean that that's literally like that's in the that's what they describe it as. Um
1: barbarians you know, or a woman, you know. The, the distinction isn't yeah. important.
0: <laughs> it it wasn't to them. It wasn't to an extent. Um but yeah, no, so like the Roman it was also considered like a, a lower class drink. It was for it was for the poor's basically. Um if you were a true Roman you'd be drinking wine. Of course. Um So, you know, those Southern European Mediterranean coast-type countries, they weren't as big on beer um, from, you know, they they were more into the grape side of fermentation. Um, But then you have... um, So, yeah, I mean, that's just the way it's been done in America because that's what was brought here. Um, I don't know... Um, obviously there have been other attempts to make um, different types of alcohols from other things of course we have scotch or which in America it's known as uh, a bourbon, Kentucky bourbon uh, which is corn mash um, then of course you get uh, types of vodkas where you get uh, people from Eastern Europe, Slavic countries, Poland Russia uh, those places, potatoes, you know, of that's a good, yeah, that's, and I, I think the English had a version of that as well, or at least the Irish came up with it, though I don't know what that was called. I think now it's mostly all referred to as vodka. Um, and then the, you have places in Brazil or, you know, in the um, Caribbean that make uh, sugarcane liquors, uh, cachaça is one that I've had pretty good it's actually not nearly as sweet as you would think from being made from sugarcane but um i think i had a little bit higher quality one than what the standard moonshine level stuff they have out there is
1: and that much i can offer a little bit of insight on because you know the sugar is what dissolves in fermentation and produces alcohol uh so you know generally and i've been to uh several caribbean nations i've had their uh their traditional uh rums and and uh, and liquors that are made from sugarcane and the thing is is that you're right they're not very sweet but they do they will just knock you flat because yes. they're, they're fermented you know and and all of that sugar leaves and it, the natural sugar content of sugarcane is you know <laughs> astronomical because it's sugarcane <laughs> so when you're making a <laughs> beverage from that if you ferment it even a little bit you're just going to get something that's going to absolutely mess you the heck up so you know it, it, anything nowadays that's advertising itself as a Caribbean rum, uh, you know your your Captain Morgan's and your you know your stuff like that, it, it you know it's a it, it's not even close to what you could probably get you know in the golden age of, of piracy and you know <laughs> when 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 uh, when Europeans and 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 Eastern folks finally you know discovered that there was some good stuff going on there after all. Decided that they wanted it for their own, you know, that, that, that was probably the reason why. And it, that, that's kind of funny to think about that, you know, we as a species, you know, we, we figured out how to do it to preserve water. And then in the meantime, you know, nations in the Caribbean especially were way ahead of the curve when it came to drinking for entertainment. You know, we, did, we make it out of sugar <laughs> cane here, and, you know, everybody's stumbling around in the streets. And, you know, it, what do you mean you do this to preserve drinking water? This is for fun. <laughs>
0: Well, in the Caribbean especially, you imagine, you know, can't always get clean water there. Obviously, there are natural springs and rivers and things like that. But, yeah, God, I can't imagine, like, I mean, Montezuma's Revenge is a thing for a reason. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, no, that's, yeah, the health benefits cannot be overstated with beer, especially, you know, when you get to, like, just general hygiene. Um. and and like just drinking like limited potable water
1: yeah Um, I could see you know and you can correct me if I'm wrong but I could see a lot of you know uh, towns and settlements you know that would ordinarily need to be made in places with you know rivers and streams and moving water you know I could see where knowledge of brewing could maybe enable you to settle somewhere that did not have uh, sources of water that were necessarily running um, and it, if you had any examples, you would be far beyond me because I know nothing about anything.
0: But well, no, you're you're right. Um, having like having regular, you know, potable sources of water is very important, um, especially if you can, um, you know, especially if like you have just enough water to maybe grow crops or water animals. Uh, but what about the people? Um, well, obviously, you need to be able to you know drink something uh in which case beer, wine. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. Um I don't know a specific like location that stands out, but there are a lot of smaller towns and you mentioned it like just the British in India like they and they couldn't drink the water there very well. So like yeah, that that kind of enabled them to kind of stay and live in the numbers that they did while they were i guess acclimating to the environment um, even in the caribbean uh, where the british occupied um part of the problem was you know people would get sick from drinking the water they would die um there is a the british had a process called seasoning that's what they called it they basically send <laughs> a bunch of they'd send a bunch of younger men and send them to the caribbean and if they you know, adapted and survived, they would generally be healthier than the rest of people would be in England for the rest of their lives. Um, so, yeah, if you if you went there and lived, you'd be in pretty good shape, provided so of course seasoning,
1: you, eugenics, you know, it's that's all yeah. the same.
0: <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, uh, exactly.
1: That's hysterical, you know. Yeah, we're just gonna, <laughs> we, we're gonna, we're gonna pluck all the tallest plants, and you know, just kind of leave the rest to suffer and die from the from the water. <laughs>
0: That's... Well, I mean, you know, Britain had a big problem with you know, kind of proto, because they weren't quite industrialized yet. That doesn't happen to later, but they did have a problem with like, you know, overcrowding, especially in London, and I think um, some of the other port cities. They just they didn't have enough work, so they like, hey, we'll ship you off to the New World. Uh, if you live, you'll be in great shape. If you live. <laughs> can you
1: even imagine being in the room of, of nobility well, and just sitting there being, you, you know, hey, you guys remember the Black Death? It, it, you, you know, there, it wasn't all bad.
0: <laughs> I, got, well, I got
1: this cool new place we can send young people to. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I mean, if you really sit down and look at things, actually, yeah, quality of life massively increased after the Black Death. <laughs> but uh, that's something for way in the future for uh, to talk about. But yeah, no. And the thing is, like, it wasn't something that, you know, they did out of malice. It was just like... And in fact, a lot of people, you know, this was actually done by, like, I guess you would consider them, like, middle class. Like, hey you can make a lot of money if you go to the new world and you just hang out there for a couple of years, you can come back and live comfortably in England for the rest of your life. Um, If you make it, but you just had, yeah, if you make it, (laughs) and that's kind of the big question. Would you make it? But it's that or die of dysentery on the streets of like London or Liverpool or Birmingham or someplace like, Oh, what a choice. yeah, like, you want cholera and dying penniless in a poorhouse? Or do you want to go to the sunny Caribbean and you might die in six months of getting there, but you're on the beach. It's sunny. It'll you know? be a
1: good six months.
0: <laughs> it couldn't have been the worst way to go in all things considered.
1: No, I suppose not.
0: Um, but, yeah, so... Um, Trying to think, was there any other? So, have you ever tried to in like um, add anything to your brews that you might not consider, like um, maybe honey or like some kind of spice, like maybe brown sugar, uh, cardamom, anything like that? Oh
1: yeah, I make a uh, I make a saison um, with a little bit of cardamom and a little bit of um, gosh, what is that other thing called that goes into saison? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I'm here for, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> partly, partly.
1: Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Is yeah. No, no, no. Some
0: some spice or
1: other. I, you know, I was looking for it the other day. Coriander. Yeah, there.
0: coriander. I, okay. Uh, I, I was in the sea. I
1: was racking my brain because I have this big glass container of coriander and I only use it for making saisons. I don't cook with it. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do with coriander you know I, I, all I do is, is use it to make beer and so I'm tearing apart the house like where where on earth is my coriander I use it for one thing one <laughs> thing and I can't even keep it together with the rest of my beer stuff yeah, typically um, spices uh, do go into um, uh, mostly beers that I am familiar with from you know traditional German areas uh, mm-hmm. and, and that is one of the things that I do find interesting is that you know if you if you try to brew a kolsch let's say um you, you and i would call it a kolsch but legally everybody else has to refer to it as a kolsch style ale because it, an official kolsch can only be brewed in the kolsch region of germany and that goes for uh, a lot of different uh, german beers they're all the same way you have to make a a blank style ale or a blank style pilsner or or, you know what have you because you're not actually making it there we've just we've stolen all of you know (laughs) germany's beers and and taken them for our own but you know they won't let us they won't let us use the official nomenclature but primarily um most of the beers i'm familiar with from germany and some of the uh, eastern Bloc type of places uh uh, a lot of Czech beers will use um, mm. seasoning as well, but Czech's mostly well-known for their uh, perfection of the pilsner and, yep. uh, pilsner and the hops used within, especially um, Saz, S-A-A-Z, uh, one of the most common, uh, not brands, but you know varieties of hops that's used mm. in pilsners, Czech-style pilsners, stuff like that. But, it, you know, I, I just ramble and get off on tangents when it no, comes to no, beer. Good. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, seasonings, ex- go...
0: absolutely. Mostly in German beers. Yeah. German, uh, you know, say what you want about the Germans, but, um, you know, they do have beer down to a pretty good science. Oh, they do. You would think they might let up on purity laws considering the last time they tried it, though, but who knows. Well, <laughs> Yeah.
1: You know here we are talking about Wait. sending people off to the Caribbean, and you know that was yeah, okay well.
0: right yeah well <laughs> uh but no uh German beers, by and large very good in my in my opinion I'd love to go there sometime and actually have them straight from the source but one day one day
1: as would i as maybe we'll uh you know once once your um podcast hits it big we'll do a uh <laughs> We'll, we'll do an, an educational and informative travel log from from Germany, in which yeah. uh, you know we talk about the way that beer tastes here on a podcast. That's that's what people want to hear about, right?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. If we could uh, <laughs> if we could get a spinoff going, you know, maybe maybe we could get that done. But who knows? We'll see. Um, I mean, at the very least, we could just do some import stuff and do that start. Actually, to get in the mindset for um, for this podcast, I got a blithering idiot. Um, I think it's like Weyerbacher, something like that. But it's a uh, it's a barley wine type beer. Um, I How's had that one of those. I had one of those last night um, after your uh, your broadcast ended, but um, it was it was pretty good. It it was. It was surprisingly strong, like on the bottle, but I could not taste it at all. It was like eleven point one percent, but it was it was very easily drunk, uh, easy to drink. Although, yeah,
1: that's the danger of those barley wine. Yeah, um, it, it, anything with the word barley wine in it, because that stuff is naturally sweet when it comes out of the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it, When you ferment it, all of that sugar goes straight to the alcohol. And you are, you are just absolutely, you know, under the
0: table in no time. Yeah, I, uh, I was... No, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go, go ahead, no.
1: <laughs> I, I, uh, I was up in a place, uh, up in North Carolina. You've been there with me, actually. Yes. A place called Blowing Rock. Uh, they have a brewery called Blowing Rock Brewery. And in that brewery, there is a uh, there is a couple of, I guess you could call them hotel rooms. Uh, that are up on the second floor of the brewery, and you can stay there, which you know, in my opinion, is it, now we consider this to be this huge revelation. But you know, we were talking about <laughs> tavern keepers. Yeah. You know, it, you would go no, to the you're right, go to the inn or the tavern. You know, get drunk, and then there'd be a room for you to flop in. That was, you know, it, we already had bar crawling and partying down to a science. For some reason, we that knowledge was lost. to Time I don't know why, but. <laughs> and, you know, I was staying there, so you know I didn't take care, care of in the world.
0: Warfare advancement and revisions, and we'll find out why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll find, find out why people people decided that we did not want a room to sleep in at the bar, and you know that's a, a tragedy if you ask me. But we're at this place called Blowing Rock Brewing, and you know I've I've had my fill. In, in fact, I've been out at other places um, <laughs> consuming many beverages, and I, you know I've come back here to roost because all I need to do is walk upstairs to sleep and the bar's still open. I'm sitting there chatting up the, uh, the bartenders, just a bunch of you know local uh, uh, men and women, and one of them comes over to me and says, "'Hey, uh, did you know we have a secret menu?' I said, a, a secret menu? No, I didn't know that." And, and she goes, here, the, you know, I'll be right back. Comes back and says, this is our barley wine. Uh, you, you gotta try it. You know, uh, this, this one's on the house. And she gives me, like, a flight glass, like a 2.5 ounce, you know, a, a, only a little more than a sample. And and all, she's, all she says to me is, be careful. Be careful. <laughs> you know, of course, and I'm already lights out as it is. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm drinking this barley wine. I'm like, what? You know, this this ain't nothing. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> be careful with what? And then, you know, I don't have a rest of that story because I don't remember getting into bed. <laughs> Oof!
0: Yeah, I I was surprised at how easy to drink that was. Normally, like those higher ABV beers, they have this really bad like aftertaste. Mm-hmm. Like they're too like you can taste the alcohol on the back end. But no, this was actually pretty smooth. Um, I won't say there was zero aftertaste on it, but it was it was surprisingly how good you know good how good it was and how like understated the strength of that was. Um, well, those high ABV
1: beers can be very uh, hard to drink sometimes miss. yeah because uh, typically if you're making a stout or an imperial, um, what what you will do during the beer <laughs> brewing process is a secondary fermentation where you add corn sugar to it. Uh, and, and you're kind of hoping that all of that gets consumed and turned into alcohol. but you know the, the problem with brewing is that it's never a hundred percent process in anything that you're doing. With it, you, you never get 100% efficiency, uh, you know, in distilling the wort. You never get 100% efficiency when you're trying to dissolve the sugars into alcohol. It's just a question of trying to be as efficient as you can during the chemical changes and all that process. And when you add sugar, whether it be to, you know, carbonate later in the bottle or to make an imperial or a stout like that, you're not going to get 100% dissolving and absorption. And so the, you know... The, that, that bitter, you know, tangy, uh, mouth-filmy aftertaste that you get in a lot of high ABV beer, beers like that is because they're not able to ferment all the sugar out into alcohol. And the, that's the reason why, again, barley wine is so dangerous because the efficiency is super high on that and they do manage to master that process to the point where it doesn't, you know, it doesn't taste, quote-unquote, like a high ABV beer because most high ABV beers you're drinking are low-effort, low-efficiency type of things. So, what does a high ABV beer actually taste like? It should be nearly, you know, I don't want to say imperceptible, but a high ABV beer done correctly is almost going to taste like wine. Because it's yeah. it's it should be very smooth and flat like that. So,
0: there you go. That, I can
1: finally be educational here on the podcast. Yeah,
0: no, that, that was a great explanation, and... Smooth is one way I would describe that Weirbacher. Yeah, it was. I was actually surprised at how smooth it was for for the strength of it. Um, it came in a four pack. I still got three more. I have no idea. What I'm gonna drink the rest. Of them. <laughs> I might. I might have one after this before um, before I start recording the next one. And uh, I think there's NFL games later today too. So oh, there it is. I might have. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Be careful, no, you got um, work tomorrow, okay? Yeah, no, exactly. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't have all three. Certainly not to, today, at least. Um, but uh, it's funny you mentioned, because uh, I know some of the earlier, um, I guess, again, quote-unquote recipes, calling these re- recipes, they're more general of a guideline. Um, a call for adding uh, date syrup to the beer. Um, and I've seen a couple of recreation attempts, like I've read a couple of articles about it, and I've watched a couple of videos on it. Um, and they, everyone added the date syrup at different points I guess in the process. Um, some of them tended to be a lot sour, but then there's one guy I watched fairly recently, and his video is only a couple of months old, but he, his was actually not sour at all. He said it was no more sour than like a standard American like pilsner. Um, it was, But it wasn't super sweet either. It had like a lot more of a nutty aroma. So they're probably adding like either way too much state syrup or not enough.
1: What, what, what taste you get out of it depends on when you add it during the brewing process. Yeah. So if, if you add it during a boil, and typically you're going to add fruit during the last uh, five or ten minutes of a boil. Because if you boil a fruit too long, you get you know a beer that tastes like boiled fruit, which is not... <laughs> which is, is not a particularly fun taste. Uh, but if you add it during the boil, um, it, you get a little bit of, of essence. And I've never used date syrup. That sounds like a really interesting concept.
0: I, I well, use a lot
1: of... No, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say that was really kind of the main fruit that they had access to um, in, Sumer, you know, in some area. Was at least when this stuff was written. I'm sure later they kind of came up with other stuff. But yeah, date syrup is kind of what they had.
1: And As that is, sweetener. you know, uh, that, that's like a brilliant kind of way to go um, in terms of, you know, ensuring that enough sugar is present uh, to, to get a decent buzz going. So they, they clearly had it figured out. <laughs> but, it, you know, I use a lot of uh, um, fruit peels, not necessarily fruit itself, because if you use just, uh, you know, sweet orange peel, better orange peel, grapefruit peel, stuff like that, um, using, using the rinds of the fruit, tends to give you more um, more of the actual flavor of orange and grapefruit and less of the sweetness of, of actual fruit and plus you can remove fruit peel when you're done boiling with it which I always do yeah. um, but if you're adding uh, if you're adding date syrup like that uh, that was probably a precursor to what we now know as an imperial stout uh, or a porter or something like that because when you uh, when you ferment, you have the option, you don't always need to, but you have the option of uh, discarding the spent yeast and moving your uh, beer that's being fermented into a- another fermentation vessel altogether. And that's that's what's called a secondary fermentation. And when people add fruit for fruit taste, not during the boil, that's when they do it, is in secondary, uh, because you've still got active yeast, you're, you're still getting fermentation, and you know, hopefully all of that sugar gets consumed and turned into alcohol. So if, if you added date syrup, it was probably, I'm sure they didn't call it secondary fermentation,
0: but
1: no. <laughs> that, that's probably what they were doing with it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane to think that they managed to master this by sheer experimentation. And yet some guy had to look at moldy bread before we had <laughs> penicillin. <laughs> How did that happen?
0: Well, uh, microscopes, uh, wonderful thing. I mean, we didn't even know yeast existed until, um, I think, like the 1700s, something around that time. Maybe even a little bit later. But obviously they knew that something was causing it. It just, they couldn't see what it was. Um, oh, well,
1: obviously uh, it was the presence of Jesus Christ that was leavening the bread.
0: Or or uh, Ninurta. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's uh, or Ninkasi. Uh, whatever, whatever, um, her name was, but yeah, no, um, I forgot, completely forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, no, so experimentation, um, pretty important. And I know that, um, one thing that they did is that they would have larger vats, but I think that they would actually only, they had a few different types of beer and I've been trying to get like an actual list that I can actually break down, but I keep reading in a couple of different places. They'll mention that they had, um, at the earliest sources, they had nine types of barley beer, nine types of Emmer beer, which these are just different types of wheat or grasses, and then later on, they, instead of describing how the beer looked, they described it by, um, by, I guess, if it was strong or sweet. They started to describe it more by taste rather than by appearance, because they, uh, they had golden beer, they had, like, I'm sure, brown beer, you know, things like that. Um, and it's interesting to kind of guess, like, what caused that, you know, that change in distinction to happen. So That's why I'm trying to find, like, these sources that these articles are citing so i can actually break it down a little bit more but that's been a little a little bit of what i've been kind of working on at least when it comes to the beer episodes
1: in that case in a historical context you would know a lot more than me (laughs)
0: yeah uh, but again my like that's essentially what i've been able to find out um i guess um yeah I mean we have I guess most pilsners I guess we would consider them yellow and ales are generally browner but that's not always the case because I've seen reddish ales too And beer does you know, come
1: in a lot of different colors uh, most yep. of them natural <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh,
0: what was that it was a sour what was it like it was like almost like a like a reddish purple that just looked like neon I'm trying to remember what that was I can't typically remember. when i, I make fruit we've...
1: beers i made one with dragon fruit a while back that was almost pink it it can happen it can happen yeah. naturally it's just uh you know
0: <laughs> i think i had some of that maybe
1: oh yeah everybody did you guys were all over at my place we had the oh, yeah, sour yeah. beer going we were sitting outside <laughs> around the fire and
0: <laughs> how's your as your remodel started or are you still looking for contractors
1: uh, it has started going slowly, nice. but they knocked out the wall down there, and uh, soon there will be my very own bar
0: downstairs
1: where I can I, continue to drink alone with only myself.
0: No, no. I Invite me over more, please. Uh, I feel <laughs> terrible that I got hung over the day before New Year's. I was dead that entire day, man. I was, I was exhausted. I had no idea what did it, because I didn't... I didn't even drink that heavily the day before. Just, you know, pretty standard weekend stuff for me. I, I don't know if I had, like, a bad beer or if I had some type of food poisoning, but, oof, I felt terrible. Yeah, it
1: could have been a little bit of both, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, once the uh, once the bar is finished, you can come and record an episode of Warfare Advancement and Revisionism uh, live from Kyle's Bar, the authentic yes. experience.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it. I've got a... One of my Christmas gifts I haven't I haven't I don't think I've mentioned it to you yet, but I did um, I've been doing some cigars on the weekends when I go to see my parents and my dad got me a very nice humidor. So I've been maintaining that and playing around with it. When's the cigar episode happening?
1: That's that's the
0: one we need. Uh, that's a while's away. We we haven't even gotten to um, tobacco or other smokable things. Obviously they've lit herbs and incenses, I'm sure, but not quite the same effect um any kind of mind-altering substances not alcohol is probably some type of um probably mushroom or something like that
1: fungus that, that, that's 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 a good one i i, I want to hear about <laughs> wrapping up fungus and smoking it
0: <laughs> well i mean eating i mean you know, magic mushrooms things like that but <laughs> i mean it's it's possible i mean you know funguses grow on all kinds of crops it's possible that someone maybe lent some incense that had like some some mushrooms growing on it and it it made the trip even better I guess
1: and we did all of this before deciding to cure disease insane
0: well, no we did this to cure disease it just wasn't a very good cure but you know what <laughs> got drunk so it worked I guess to an extent um but, yeah, so um, I think that was kind of the highlights. I'm trying to think of any other big outstanding questions. Obviously, I know as soon as we end the recording, I'm going to think of, like, five more things. But that, I guess that'll leave us some stuff for for part two. Um,
1: I'm happy to see. return whenever you may
0: need me. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, that this might be something that can recur and we can maybe sample some beers that would be typical of the period we're talking about or maybe not beer we might do a maybe let's do a classy wine episode or something when we hey talk why, about why not both anything.
1: why not both or even better how about find me one of those um uh primitive recipes with date syrup and i'll make it and then we can you know, discuss how the uh, mesopotamians had extremely poor taste <laughs>
0: So the thing with the Mesopotamian beer this is something I should have mentioned. So it would be made and drunk within a very short period of time at least for what most people were having it. Um obviously I'm sure that they had some better stuff for the hoi polloi but um yeah no like the beers would be probably made over like a 4 or 5 day period uh just enough to kind of get some alcohol into it and then you know once you open it up after you let that fermentation complete you'd probably have to drink it all within the you know within two days or so before it it would either probably go bad or you know you couldn't use it anymore
1: oh yeah absolutely and you can churn out a uh, uh you know a batch of of perfectly drinkable alcoholic beer in you know even like 48 hours uh, in fact, I've known um, a, a couple of brewing operations here in the state that we live in. Um, it, the, uh, the fermentation rate is affected by temperature. Uh, mm-hmm. And generally, you want to keep your beer from, you know, like 68 to 72. Some beers are fermented colder um, just cause. Some beers are fermented warmer. And if you ferment warmly, you are going to get extraordinarily accelerated uh, fermentation, but you you are also running into the exact risk of what the Mesopotamians seem to understand there, and that was that you're you know, when you do it that quickly, you are not making something that is going to be sterile and last a long time. Yeah. And I had I I have gotta say, I have I've never had anything like this and I don't know if I ever will again. But I had a beer that was hot fermented out in the in the summer sun here in the southeastern United States. Um by a gentleman who works for a brewery up here in the place where we are. Yeah. Uh, he, he I've it with. It so you, okay, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I won't bring
0: it up if you're worried about. But yeah, like I've mentioned. No, I'm everything. not worried about
1: anything. I just, you know, yeah. I'm just. It. It. I, I don't know how you are, but in any event, it, it was a place called Amor Artis Brewing that's up in uh, Fort Mill, yeah. uh, South Carolina. The, the head brewmaster of that place, because we we were talking shop. I you know I can never help myself, <laughs> it, you know. It, as, but you learn stuff idiot. doing that. Oh, you learn stuff, and it's good. And brewers love to talk to other brewers. But I, I often feel like you know, the you know. The, the cook who talks to the to the master chef at the restaurant like you know, I, I, I too know how to make a good remoulade like no 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 I don't <laughs> <laughs> not not on that level but you know, and I, I'm talking shop with this guy and my wife and I are the only ones in the place he says man you got to try this, I made this beer with pine needles. Oh, yeah. I, th- <laughs> I said what. <laughs> Because you know, a, a good whiskey or a Scotch, I love a woody taste in that. Oh yeah, as as does I feel like most
0: of America. I'm um, a Islay man. I like that peat bog, that absolutely, bog water. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. As do I. It's it's an acquired taste. Yeah, but eventually you learn long. to like uh, drinking shoe leather. I mm-hmm. you know I like it. <laughs> it's got good, that not, smoky not to flavor to it, man. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know when when our predecessors were fermenting and distilling liquors. You kind of wanted um, you wanted some of the barrel uh, to kind of wear off uh, into the alcohol. At first, it was not intended, but then you know, as we reused barrels and casks for different wines and liquors, you know, eventually a barrel was a very good fermentation barrel that had a lot of good flavors of things <laughs> infused into the wood, uh, and you could you know you could keep that for as long as the barrel could be uh, maintained, maintained by a cooper or what have you yeah <laughs> but yeah, anyway that's... i'm, I'm kind of branching off i had this beer with the pine needles the guy says you got to try it you got to try it i i fermented it in 36 hours as soon as it was done i just i threw the yeast into it and i left it out in the sun and I, you know i'm not selling it but here yeah. just have have a, a cup and, and see how you feel about that and i'll be damned if that wasn't the best, most unique beer I have ever tasted in my life. It's, the ABV was absurd. It was about a 9.1. and it was really? just a... yeah, yeah, it was a I think you could best describe it as probably a, a cross between a brown and a red ale. Okay. Uh, so the, the flavor wasn't huge, but the pine needles, I, I, you know, I still have trouble explaining why the taste of pine needles was just so good. This <laughs> well, so is probably but it smell, was. right?
0: I mean, because those smell great. Like, I don't know. The least taste is, yeah,
1: taste is, is connected to smell. And you wouldn't think that you want a mouthful of pine needles, but that beer has me reconsidering <laughs> uh, the the edibility of them. But he, I, I ended up loving it so much. I was like, dude, you got to get me a crowler of this. Uh, and, and he said, yeah, you know, just take it because like, I, I can't sell it. Uh, and it's probably going to go bad in like you know two or three days. So here you go, man. Take this and that. That the next Friday I had that cold crowler in my fridge, <laughs> and I was ready to start a really nice evening of watching sports and uh, generally relaxing after the work week. And you know it, it was a it was a 32 ounce crowler, so it was a big can. and... you know I had that can and then I went to bed at maybe 10 (laughs) o'clock I told my wife I I can't even keep my eyes open anymore these damn pine needles (laughs) oh
0: lord that's a good one Mm. yeah that's one of those things you know you mentioned it was brewed so short like I knew a lot of early like scholarship and literature on it because you know rations were paid partly in beer because they didn't have coins or you know money as we would understand it until much later but like a lot of the assumptions was that these alcohols were like not that strong like they were like you know, you might consider them like a, maybe a two percent or something along those lines but i think a lot of like reconstructive stuff is kind of like yeah no some of these are pretty standard you know probably in line with what we would expect or maybe even stronger and i would i would be very interested to consider to know what they considered a strong beer to be
1: but you know i i just found out uh the other day that the um you know the british navy as as did many other navies had a rum ration yep um and they had it well into i, I want to say the 50s or the 60s yeah no it was, uh, when, yeah that, the, you know that, that's crazy stuff but that was part of being a sailor as you got you know it, you got X number of rum, you got X number of burgoo to, to eat. <laughs> if you ever do a, a, an episode on food, we can talk about that. But, um, you know, you, you had this rum ration, and apparently the Royal Navy rum ration was an official, it, like they made their own. It, it wasn't just, you know, it, it, it was standard issue. So if you joined the Royal Navy, you know, they gave you a uniform. They gave you your weapon, and then they gave you your rum. And it was all in-house, you know, sourced, sourced in-house. And when the rum ration ended, the Royal Navy had no reason to produce uh, rum anymore. So they sold the recipe. And you can still buy it today <laughs> if you want the taste of the Royal Navy according to the centuries-old recipe. Uh, that is now called Pusser's Rum. Uh, which you can buy, yeah, Pusser's, uh, which was, you know, sailor vernacular for purser, as in the purser's yeah. rum, you know, yep. so yep. the purser would give you your pay and your rum ration, and then, so, it, you know, you go to a liquor store, any liquor store worth its salt, and get Pusser's rum, you too can drink like a British <laughs> sailor.
0: I don't know if I want to, to be quite honest, <laughs> but, you know, maybe the one time I would give it a shot, um, but yeah, no, that's... Uh, yeah, no rations payment. That's that's something that definitely has been used for quite a long period of time. Um, grog, of course, another great oh. drink. And I say great with quotation marks there. <laughs> Iconic <laughs> may be the way to put it.
1: I have had authentic grog in the Caribbean uh, because for a time, you know, we know that as a colloquial, um, you know, term for an alcoholic beverage of questionable origin um, but for a time uh, grog was considered a rare export of of the Caribbean and there was branded grogs um, I have it's not really produced anymore because it's hard to put a finger on exactly what grog is yeah but I did have a sample of it from a uh, from a rum distillery in uh, um, I want to say I um, Ah, where the heck was I? Maybe Saint Martin. Um, I, I forget where it was, but the best I can describe the taste of what an authentic grog recipe is is alcoholic vomit. <laughs> it, 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 it was awful, <laughs> and I had maybe a thimbleful of that oh.
0: stuff. Ugh. Truly disgusting. Oof! How strong was it? Do you know? Very. Um, that would I'd, make I'd, sense. You know,
1: it was it was marketed as a um, you know, it when, when we think grog, like I said, we we think of you know it's the pirates' drink and they keep yeah. it in barrels and everybody has uh, several mugs of grog with you know with the the evening meal, um, but I want to say that the grog I had was somewhere around forty percent, and so you know it was better drain cleaner than yeah uh, than than liquor, but. If, if the legends are to be believed, you know, then this is why pirates' teeth were rotting out of their heads, you know, all the time. Because they had poor dental care, but also because they were drinking some 40%, you know, mug of disgusting alcoholic vomit with every meal, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that the sugar efficiency was probably oh. pretty low during fermentation. I bet. <laughs> Good
0: lord. Oof. Oof. Yeah, I think the only, like, historical, like, recipe reproduction that I've had was the, um, the dispensary, um, recipe for, um, the, the one we had up in, was it Anderson? For the, uh... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The uh, palmetto, what? Palmetto Moonshine.
0: Yeah, like, so... Something like that. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, in the state of South Carolina, um... When prohibition was happening, um, there were workarounds where people could get um, alcohol, and one way the state of South Carolina decided to do it was um, to prevent, you know, the kinds of massive rum-running and bootlegging type deals. That they would basically allow a certain amount of personal use alcohol to be purchased by everyone, and they had their own state-sponsored recipe, and you would have to buy it from the state directly. Uh, It was a very nice windfall, monetarily for the state, and it generally worked with a few exceptions, I'm sure. Um, That's something I'm looking forward to kind of researching, but uh, they have since, I guess, obviously since Prohibition has gone away, someone rediscovered the state's recipe and uh, has begun to produce that uh, state-sponsored moonshine here in South Carolina. They've actually you know kind of done some i guess some some of their own recipes and spinoffs that are very good um but you know i honestly didn't mind it i thought it was pretty decent for moonshine
1: yeah i I suppose if it was the only moonshine that you were allowed to buy by law you know you you, you could do a lot worse but uh, prohibition changed the entire uh you know makeup of uh, american you know wine beer and and liquor making yeah and a lot of beers that you know we know now are shadows of their former selves uh, because their recipes had to change after prohibition was over due to you know uh scarcity of ingredients and and you know ways that things could be sourced
0: yeah
1: however here's 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 an interesting nugget here for your listeners (laughs) there are two um you know national level breweries macro breweries if you want to call them that that did not change their recipe after Prohibition and still use the one today, the same one today. And I'm certain that you know what one of
0: them is. I believe I do, yes. Is it good old, is it good old Yingling? Yingling, absolutely. Yingling yeah. is the first. And the second,
1: over. the second is Genesee. Uh,
0: okay, okay. I should have known that. You're a big Genesee <laughs> cream ale fan. Which I, I enjoy it, too. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand your, your true love for it, but I get it. it. It's a very good beer. It's very flavorful, if nothing else.
1: Hey, you know, a, 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 a true love can only exist between a man and his beverage, okay? That's true. That's, That's true. Someday you will know that love.
0: That's going to be the quote I have at the start of this episode. <laughs> true love can only exist between a man and his beverage. Uh, you put it on my gravestone, would you? I will. I will. As long as liz doesn't fight over it <laughs> i'm not i'm not getting into that <laughs> uh oh but uh i guess the final thing um before we kind of finish up so you mentioned you may want to do the um the one of the old school uh recipe recreations uh one of the key uh steps in the process um that is listed in this uh hymn to um is that the noble dogs keep away even the potentates Uh, you have the noble dogs to keep away the potentates oh man so
1: we'll definitely be able to you know follow it down to the letter won't we
0: yep absolutely just i'm sure that
1: (laughs) the dander of the noble dogs uh did you know did not appreciably affect the flavor in any
0: sort of way no not at all i'm sure it'll be completely 100 percent sterile drinkable um there is a uh, a kind of a filtering process because uh there was a lot of like bread and stuff or bapier, which is some type of bread it's kind of a guess of what exactly it is but um yeah a lot of that was filtered and they drank it through straws because it's you know they didn't have the best filters in the world um but I think uh we probably have something we could use probably something along the lines of cheesecloth or something like that. I know we've had to use that on some of your brews before. Um <laughs> uh, I've gotten better since then. But no, we, you, we can we can go back to the old ways. And the thing is I didn't mind that beer like but was it the quadruple cheesecloth filtered? Was that what we <laughs> doing? <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: that was my first try at making uh, an Imperial and uh you know, for for what it's worth, it, it did have the very strong flavor, but also it was you could see the hop oils on top of it. Yeah, so. I mean,
0: it, but it didn't like there was nothing wrong with the taste, and it didn't have that shitty aftertaste a lot of imperials have. At least I don't remember it having that. Now that may be because I drank too much of it, but yeah. who knows? <laughs> you would be <me> both. Yeah. <laughs> uh but I think that's a that's a good place to call it for now. Um, but yeah, Kyle, thanks for thanks for joining me on this one. This is. Probably definitely going to be my longest episode, um, at least so far, and probably for at least a little while longer until we get into the written history. But, yeah, thanks for coming out, man. Absolutely.
1: I know that your loyal listeners are going to love listening to some idiot laugh about times he got drunk for like 40 minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I certainly enjoy it. And uh, I think, yeah, I think this episode's going to be pretty big. Of course, I'm not going to be able to release it for a month or two while I'm working on uh, getting kind of up to this point. But yeah, no, I, I have a feeling this is going to be a big one. Uh, I'll be looking forward to it. Would you, is there anything you want to plug or do before I kind of sign us off?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I, as Preston mentioned earlier, I, I do, uh, do a uh, Twitch live stream, uh, twitch.tv slash mega team up. M-E-G-A-T-E-A-M-U-P You can also just go to megateamup.com I own that domain so it'll take you there And We're on Twitter and all of that good stuff We, we do video games, obscure stuff um, Oftentimes I drink during it
0: uh, <laughs> So <laughs> Certainly did last night yeah, Oh yeah so <laughs> That was a great show by the way that was
1: just... Yeah towards the latter uh, half of it We ended up just playing anybody who wanted to play chess um, So <laughs> If you like chess, you like, you know, drunken idiots, uh, it's a great stream. Check us out.
0: Yeah, and um, I'll include the link or I'll certainly try to remember to include it in the link um, when I post this uh, this episode up. And in fact, uh, Kyle is one of the ones that um, asked me to cover the world of Glorantha which was uh, one of the alternate uh, tabletop role-playing games um, back, uh, back in October, so Uh, He is the one that you should all have to thank for that. Which, that was a very well-received episode. I had a lot of listeners on that. Um, I think it was second only to the Conan the Barbarian, which I still don't understand how that got so popular. That was a huge episode for me. Um, But, yes, thank you, Kyle. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and I hope to have you back here in the future. Uh, But for all my other listeners, uh, you can reach me at the usual places. You can send me an email directly at waradrevpod at at gmail.com. Or you can reach me via the Twitter, which is um, the same, but I'll include that link in the episode description. Uh, Please feel free to leave any kind of advice, criticism, constructively, or feedback of any kind at those locations. But uh, thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye.
1: Bye, everybody.